when I hear the words cancel culture, I cringe. When I see the words cancel culture show up in an email from the producers of this podcast, I get ready for battle. I openly admit I am not a fan of cancel culture. I can't stand hatred. I can't stand racism. I can't stand inequality or intolerance. But I also can't stand the theory that the best way to eradicate intolerance is to be intolerant of anyone who disagrees with us. I'm Clay Aiken, and this week Politicon delves into the topic of cancel culture again. But thankfully, for my blood pressure and my nerves, uh, this week we welcome an unabashed liberal, queer, Muslim, female, author and educator who believes that payback has never amounted to progress. Irshad Manji is the executive producer of Moral Courage TV and an author whose extensive writings on Islam have been banned by a number of Islamist countries in the world. But her latest book, Don't Label Me, is a powerful how-to guide for avoiding the us-versus-them divisions that are ripping America apart. I'll ask her if there's such thing as a line that shouldn't be crossed. How can we challenge the us-versus-them mentality when so much of our media environment and our political culture is totally geared towards winners and losers? Aren't some views and words and opinions actually deserving of being shut out? And of course, how the heck are we going to get along? You... uh you did this show called, or I guess you did this thing at, at college campuses, this Ask Me. Forbidden it's Questions. It's sort of now Moral Courage yeah, TV. Yeah, Forbidden Questions. Forbidden exactly. Questions is what it was called. Did that not scare God, you at no. all? Because, Clay, and I'm happy to go into this if you care for it, um, I've, I've, I I've literally been eye-to-eye and toe-to-toe with bona fide terrorists. Um, I am not afraid of somebody... Um, saying something that may offend. In fact, the only thing that offends me is when people self-censor, at least to me, Mm -hmm. out of fear of offending. No, I far prefer honesty over, you know, politeness. Yeah, what is that about? Like, people have now gotten to where they are very censored because they are scared to death of being canceled. And I have said to people in the past, you know, I did um, some stuff for The View back, in 20, to mm-hmm. 2016 during mm-hmm. the campaign, and I went to a uh, Trump rally in right. Wilkes-Barre, and as I went around and talked to all these people, almost 80% of them said, well, you know, he's honest. Mm. He'll tell you the truth. Well, he's honest. And I remember thinking, I mean, I knew right. Trump, and I knew that he wasn't being, but he had this, he sort of, to mm-hmm. a lot of people, had this sense of, is it authenticity? Maybe that's what it was to them. I mean, it, he wasn't being right. authentic. But, um, but we, have, we are both a society that has gotten incredibly comfortable with reality so TV. <laughs> and, right, so-called reality TV. And we, uh, you know, if you're under the age of 15, you don't even right. watch TV. You watch YouTube right. all the time. That's all my kid watches yep. is YouTube always. And so we're so much more in tune with mm. bullshit these <laughs> days. But yet somehow politicians and people in the media are so much more yeah. full exactly. of bullshit nowadays. Exactly. 
What is and that you know, all about? And you know Why? What, Clay? I don't know that we are much more in touch with bullshit. Fact is, we mm. are letting ourselves be manipulated at every turn. And uh, manipulated by algorithms, manipulated by agendas, and by agendas that are against other people's agendas. In other words, a lot of us have mm -hmm. no problem being manipulated by our own side, as long as we're not them, yeah. right? And do you, don't, do you think we know yeah. that? Great question. Uh, yes, I think we know that, but we don't really think about it. Or care. Or care. That's right. I mean, we, we, I mean but we, we, everything's binary, exactly. right? So you're either going to be a conservative yeah. or a progressive, Correct. even though... I don't agree with everything that I see or hear on MSNBC, right. but because I definitely don't agree with most of the stuff I hear on Fox, I'm going to stick with MSNBC and I'm going to just be a lemming. Yeah, is that what it yeah is? a follower, you know? Uh, and the thing is that the vast majority of the country, according to research, is somewhere in the middle. Uh, there was a very, oh, yeah. very uh, interesting report that came out in 2018 called Hidden Tribes. And the hidden tribe here is the 80 to 85% of the country that they call, the researchers called, the exhausted majority. And yet, <laughs> they feel, the majority, feels politically homeless. It's amazing how we have allowed the extremes, to hijack the public conversation on just about everything. If they feel so politically homeless, though, why are polls pretty hardcore stuck where they are? I mean, you don't, if it really is, because, I, listen, I agree with you. When I ran yep. for Congress, I used to say 10% the, in the one end zone, 10% in the other end zone, and the rest of us are in the middle of the field mm -hmm. somewhere. But if that were really the case then I would assume that polling would sway dr dramatically instead of constantly always being within, you know, a, a 10-point right. margin. Um, why is it that so many of us are mm -hmm. saying we are politically mm -hmm. homeless or saying that I agree with this side sometimes, this side the other, uh, other times, but we don't vote that way, do we? Um, there's a lot of what's called inertia which means um, basically we go with the familiar. We don't uh, strike out of our comfort zone. And so many people um, will complain that they feel politically homeless, but when it comes time to voting, if they vote, <laughs> they, will, uh, you know, they will check the ballot for whom they've always checked the ballot for, i.e. the party, Yeah. right? And um, that is part of what I'm saying, that we don't really think. We allow ourselves to emote and emote in some pretty loud ways. But to really sit down and think about what I can be doing different, how I need to be changing myself so that I'm a part of the solution, not part of the problem, most people won't go there because uh, it is so much easier 
read lazier to mm-hmm. just go with the flow. And to blame that's somebody the, else. And that's the going with the flow bit. Exactly. So much easier right. to point fingers at them than to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, how, how can I be different? And don't label me. Your book is about that. It's kind of that. It's about sort of that us versus them argument, right? So why, not that I I think anybody who's ever listened to this show would believe for a second that I don't already know why this is necessary, but why was this necessary for you to write about now? Well, you know, um, I'm somebody who people label all the time, uh, person of color, Muslim, queer, woman, immigrant, you name it. You are like a hate crime waiting to happen, aren't you? (laughs) A great class action lawsuit waiting to happen, honey. (laughs) You're the whole class all by yourself. Happy to be a unifier in that regard. But the point I'm making is that I've learned over many years of being labeled how labels often distort who we are rather than merely describing who we are. Let me give you an example. So I mentioned that I happen to be Muslim. Now, uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, there was no more polarizing issue, right, than Islam. And uh, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote a couple of books about the need for reform within my faith of Islam. People who did not want to hear that reform is needed would call me uh, an Uncle Tom, selling out Mm -hmm. my tribe, when in fact, my tribe wasn't Muslims. My tribe has always been people who think differently than the group that they're a part of. In other words, misfits. I adore misfits. And Mm -hmm. those people are my tribe. But no matter, you're labeled, and uh, those who claim that you should not call yourself a Muslim because you're an Uncle Tom will take a whack at you. Then there are those who really do hate Islam. And because you are Muslim, and that's the label they see, they will call you a stealth jihadist, meaning a you know, uh, violent uh, criminal who's just going under the radar, ready to strike at non-Muslim Americans. That's why you came on the show, I assume. To, obviously. To, to totally... I'm here to recruit completely you. Completely disturb... Dis- right. <laughs> disturb America. Yeah. Just, you know, take yeah. me into... That's right. To the jihad yourself. You got yourself. it, my well. friend. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and, I, and I'm glad that I, I can now claim you as part of the jihadist <laughs> horde. There okay? you go. <laughs> can I call yes. you, like, uh, Abu Aiken? <laughs> <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it takes. You know what? I mean, but the reason I make that joke is because you're, I'm sure you're right. There are people who, it, it, it's got to be, I don't know if you would consider yourself moderate. I don't consider myself moderate. And I tell people all the time, I'm not really moderate. I just don't like subscribe to the bullshit when my That's right. team plays it either. And so you think I'm a moderate because I won't agree with them on all the the knick-knack, paddywhack fuckery that they're into. <laughs> um, so I think that you must, it must have been very difficult for you in those years after 9-11 when you're writing mm-hmm. a book um, 
and, you know, giving your own opinions to have people on the Mm -hmm. Islam side say you weren't Islam enough and to have obviously probably far too many Americans say, well, simply because you are Muslim, I'm not, I'm not going to trust you at all, right? It, it, so it, is the middle the most dangerous place in the world to be? These days, often it is, because we are so polarized as a country, and on all kinds of things, right? Masks, vaccines, to say nothing of, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. We are so polarized on all kinds of issues that if you take a side, a clear side, and stick with it, even though you know that that side can be contradictory and even hypocritical, then you have safety in numbers. But if you are willing to buck the consensus in your group from, and come from a place of integrity, you know, I love y'all, but on this one, sorry, not sorry, I'm, I don't agree. You can, you can expect some kind of a call to throw you out of the group. And Mm -hmm. what I do for a living, Clay, I teach something called moral courage. Moral courage means, yes, speaking truth to power, but let me be very clear, power not just out there, the system, no, power also of our own egos. And those are the egos that get very defensive the moment uh, we feel stress or anxiety. And because we don't want to feel stress or anxiety, we often lapse into becoming more extreme for that safety that I was talking about than we actually mean to be. Uh, listen, I'm guilty of Who that isn't? in my own life sometimes. I don't, think, I don't think I am in politics. I hope I'm not. But hell, in just other yeah. life scenarios, I'm certainly more likely to get more emotional when I'm anxious or and, nervous. And you right? know, Clay, yeah. I so, so appreciate you owning that. That is truly honest of you, and it doesn't make you a bad person. I hope you know that. It makes you human. <laughs> I own it because the producers on the show were thinking, hell yeah, oh, he yeah. does. But you know, <laughs> I have to own it because they listen. <laughs> that is completely human. One of the problems is that most people will accuse the other of being overly emotional and will not own for themselves how they play right into that trap, too. So you, you mentioned diversity, equity, inclusion, and I find that to, I find those to be buzzwords oftentimes for folks in my p- political party, on my left side of the aisle. Um, but do you think progressives have done a better job, honestly, of fostering diversity and equity and inclusion than, than conservatives no. have? No, and I speak as a very liberal individual. Uh, 
what I find happening here, yeah, I'm, you're laughing. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm laughing. No, I'm sorry, no, I'm laughing at you. I'm <laughs> laughing only because I, I tell folks all the time, I really like talking to people I disagree with. And here I am like, damn, everything she says. Oh, don't is you worry. Exactly we'll, what we'll, I feel. we'll get into. We'll, we'll find exactly. something. To, the show is how the heck are we yeah. supposed to get along? And here we are no, doing and here it. Here we are doing it. Wow, <laughs> what great. a novel concept. But, but really what we're doing. But yes, I am progressive also. But, but I'm not progressive. And I'm not progressive. I am very liberal. But to call myself okay. a progressive today would suggest what I'm about to explain about why okay. I believe progressives have not done a better job than conservatives in fostering diversity and inclusion. You know, the very mindset that leads to racism, misogyny, uh, homophobia, and other forms of discrimination is an us against them mindset, right? It's a superiority complex on the, on the part of one group and uh, projecting an inferiority on everybody else. Sadly, the way diversity, equity, and inclusion is too often being taught today in workplaces, in schools, um, in colleges and universities is yet another us against them mindset. A lot of highly educated, maybe overly educated people like to believe that we know better. We know it all. And you all, you know, in so-called flyover country, you know, the so-called rednecks and dinosaurs. I'm in North Carolina, you, you so I'm one of them. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm all are just backward and they're there. Don't bother we're going to tell you what you can and can't say. We're going to tell you uh, what the right way of talking to other people is, and we're going to accuse you of being ists of all kinds and phobes yep. of all kinds if you violate our rules. Now, let me ask you this, Clay. <laughs> How do you fight us against them the very mindset that leads to injustices in the first place with more us against them. Well, some people would answer that by saying that you do it as retribution, that there is a some sort of uh, reparation, so to speak, um, to, to, to that. That, you know, it, it was the turn of mm-hmm. white people for mm-hmm. centuries to be in control, and perhaps it's time to to balance that out. I mean, some people make that argument and they oh, believe they are it. very sincere about it. it. And here's what I would say in part. You mentioned two R words there. Retribution, which means revenge, and mm-hmm. reparation, uh, which means to repair. Revenge mm-hmm. and repair are very different things. Payback has never, ever amounted to progress. What does amount to progress is moving beyond the very mentality that has led to the injustices in the first place. So saying, but Irshad, it's my turn as a black American or my turn as a person of color, that's fine. Of course you are entitled to your turn. The problem that we are facing is that you're interpreting your turn 
to mean at the expense of other people. And well, that's fine, though, no, right? I mean, not, it, they no, deserve that, don't they? Of course they deserve their turn, Clay. Of course. Everybody does. No, they deserve to, to take a back no. seat, don't they? You see, in asking that question, and I know you're, you're, you're playing devil's advocate here, and bless you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we're turning this into a contest where there can only yeah. be one winner. And what I'm saying is we've got to move beyond that mentality into a mentality not of scarcity where there can only be one winner, but a mentality of abundance where there can be many winners at once. Let me tell you a quick story, if I may. Um, In Don't Label Me, I tell the story of two people. Uh, One is a a black uh, American by the name of Genesis. She's a young hip-hop artist whose grandfather was murdered by the KKK. So for her, history is not abstract. It is deeply personal. Enter Lewis, a young, white, working-class guy for whom history is also deeply personal in that he's the descendant of a Confederate soldier who fought on the side of the South during the Civil War. Now, the issue here for the both of them was the Mississippi state flag, which at the time mm-hmm. featured uh, the, um, uh, a Confederate-era uh, emblem. And Genesis right. wanted that emblem replaced with something truly inclusive. And Lewis disagreed with her. For him, this was his heritage. Instead of merely suspecting one another of ill intent and writing each other off, Lewis, you're a racist. Genesis, you're, you know, uh, you're a, a, a supremacist in your own right. Instead of labeling one another, Genesis and Lewis came to the table, literally. They sat down one afternoon and they hashed out how they felt about the issue. And Genesis did something very simple and very powerful. She didn't state where she was coming from right away. Instead, she asked Lewis uh, an honest question, not a gotcha question. She said, Lewis, how does the state flag make you feel? Notice that She wasn't asking him to strain his brain. This wasn't a history lesson, right? Just, how does it make you feel? And he replied, oh, it makes me feel like I'm home. And because she cared enough to ask him where he was coming from, he felt a responsibility to ask her the same. So he said, how about you? And she replied, it makes me feel unwelcome even though I am at home. And over the course of the next three hours, they continue to disagree, but still to listen. And here Mm -hmm. is what Lewis realized. Let me first say, he did not change his mind about the flag. But that's okay, and I'll tell you why. Because what he realized was 
that he cared more about Genesis, the human being, than he did about this piece of cloth that he called his flag. And as a result, he left that conversation thinking. He, he began to reflect. And here's what he realized. If that flag is changed, my heritage doesn't get stolen from me. I am still a son of the South. I am still a descendant of a Confederate soldier. And I can still take pride, for whatever reason, in that ancestry. If we change that flag, I still get to keep my heritage. And Genesis gets to feel that she shares this state with me. So you see, because Genesis humanized herself to Lewis, he was motivated to uh, uh, emerge from the us against them box. He no longer thought of this issue as either or. Either I keep the flag and I remain true to myself, or the flag changes and I no longer know who I am. No. He busted out of either or and he realized the benefits of both and. That he doesn't lose anything by dint of adding uh, Genesis to his life. And that is what I'm trying to uh, say as you play devil's advocate with me. That when people think, but it's their turn, or it's my turn, yes, absolutely it is, but that doesn't mean it has to come at someone else's expense. Let's add to the environment, not uh, limit it even further. Have you kept in touch with Genesis I sure and have. Lewis? And how do they feel today? Does Lewis still have that same sort of empathy for black people in Mississippi? Does, does Genesis still have that same sort of understanding of where the white folks in Mississippi come from? Or have they retreated back to their nope. corners? They are uh, proud. They're married now. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Well, not quite, but we won't, get, we won't get into that. They do have a child together. No, of course they don't. Of course they no. don't. No, 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 no. Folks, that was just a joke. Okay. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they are proud of the fact that not only were they able to work together on this issue, because guess what? Lewis joined the movement to change the Mississippi hmm. state flag. Yeah. To change the and, flag. And it's now and it's changed. Now changed. Right. And he brought a bunch of his folks with him. You see, he was a trusted well, representative of that side. And when he uh, made the first move to join the movement, uh, to change the flag, because he was trusted, that caused other people on his side, quote unquote, to think, well, uh, Either, you know, Lewis is a traitor or maybe I got to find out from him what's made him do this. And the more he spoke to people who were willing to listen, the more he was able to explain to them that this is not, uh, you know, us versus them. We are in this together.
Right, but I mean, I I have to imagine that you probably have other anecdotal yeah. evidence yeah. like that. I know there's more in um, Don't Label Me. Uh, I could think of empirically some evidence from my life. Um, I think about my neighbor across the street who I got. I hope he doesn't listen to this because I talk about him all the time. Um, who, Our neighbor's who, um, great for who that. I just, who, I don't, who I don't agree with politically at all. Um, and, but who I find to be a delightfully nice person. And I think that every time, I can't think of many people in my life, um, and I imagine very few people can think of folks like this, who just go face to face with somebody and have that same sort of confrontational argument that we see on TV news, have that same sort of confrontational argument that we see between politicians, on social media, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You're right. But so, so these anecdotal stories like Lewis and Genesis are incredibly inspiring until I think, but shit, that only happens when someone has three hours to change someone's mind. If I, if I could have sat down with, 700,000 people in North Carolina's second district back in 2014 and had an hour with each of them, I could have gotten them all to vote for me. But you can't. Politics don't work like that. Um, Nothing, no no influence, no uh, opinion changing happens on that one-to-one basis anymore. So much of it's media driven. Okay. So, so talk, tell me about how we can have moral yeah. courage when we've got so much yeah. media telling us what to think. So much right? other stuff. Exactly. Yes. Uh, if we think at all, obviously. Um, first of right. all, let me puncture a premise of what you just said, mm-hmm. which is that, um, Puncture a premise. That's the nicest way I've ever heard someone say, I'm going to bust your argument the hell down. Well, well, the hell down. <laughs> I'm going to puncture your, I'm going to puncture the premise. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I, uh, I love you. That's why I, I, I only puncture your premise, not whoop your ass. Okay. Okay. okay right. There you go. Um, first of all, politics is a bad uh, model for what I'm talking about because for, for really anything. anything, let's be honest, right? But, but, <laughs> yeah. but let me explain. Um, in a political campaign, and you of all people know this well, there, again, can only be one winner. And mm-hmm. as a result, politics, if we take that as our model for interacting with our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our co- fellow congregants, whatever, if we take politics, national politics, or even state politics as our model, we've already set ourselves up for devastation because life presents us with so many more win-win opportunities than politics does, okay? So first and foremost, can I just ask listeners, throw politics as a model for human behavior out the frickin' window. Please, you're doing yourself no favors by following uh, the behavior of politicians. Which is funny, interestingly, because I was talking, I did an interview last week with, um, uh, I was interviewed about 
all these entertainment entertainment people who are trying to go into politics and you know they have this you know their fan base the love from everyone the rock is thinking of running for president and matthew mcconaughey's right. thinking of running for governor and i said but you know the difference is and exactly mm -hmm. what you said the difference is when the rocks movie comes out on friday he doesn't have to talk shit about the yes. other movies that are coming out on Friday in order for his exactly. to do well. They can all win in the entertainment industry. Yes, he may make more on his movie than the, you know, the art house one makes, but they can all be successful. Whereas in politics, once you jump in, people going to start talking smack now because they have no bingo, other choice. Right? Bingo, bingo. Okay, mm -hmm. so great. You, that's the, the punctured premise, okay? But there's something else as well that I'll whoop your ass on. And that is okay. this notion that, um, you know, if I had three hours, uh, sure, I could change someone's mind. Okay, stop right there. We ought not to enter into conversation with our other in order to change their mind. And in fact... That's what we fight with exactly. people, right? And, and in fact, remember what I said about, uh, about Lewis during his conversation, his first conversation with Genesis he did not change his mind about the flag. Yeah? He merely... He probably, he probably refused to. He probably went into it knowing he didn't sure. want to change his mind. Just and he like refused we to until he got do, home and right? thought about it. When right? we have a yeah. hard and fast position about something and the person we're interacting with, we know that they disagree with us, right? The ego says, don't let Irshad crush you. You know, don't let her see you become weak. As if uh, mm -hmm. uh, taking into consideration new information that you wouldn't have thought of on your own is somehow weak. No, honey, that, that takes strength, all right? But okay, so the point is this. The purpose of uh, how the heck are we gonna get along is not to change each other's mind. That may happen down the road, Okay, lovely, but that's not the point. The point is to humanize ourselves to one another. And that is what we manage to do when we ask sincere questions, not judgmental questions, when we listen to understand, not to win, when we take a deep breath just before we respond to somebody who has disagreed with us. Why take that deep breath? Because you're slowing down the blood rush in your body, and that means you're giving your brain the oxygen that it needs to think more clearly. Because when we're anxious, we do this. <laughs> and we don't even realize we're doing that, but the brain sure realizes it, and that's when the brain becomes even more stressed out. So we actually wind up making the situation worse. And by the way, Clay, I don't speak um, in theory about these things. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that, uh, you know, I've uh, traveled the world speaking before thousands of audiences about the need for reform in Islam, in my faith. Hasn't gotten you, has, has lost you some friends um, too, it's, right? It's, <laughs> Not for, I just meant like your book's been banned. My in countries, book has been right? banned in some countries. As a result, <laughs> it's been a bestseller in others. So thank you, censors. Right? <laughs> you this is this is the <laughs> right? thing about censors. They never understand yeah. 
that by censoring, you're actually giving more attention to that which you wish would die. No press is bad Exactly, exactly. So anyway, (laughs) we'll we'll put aside the dumbass nature of censorship. A lot more book book buyers in the U.S. than in Uh, Malaysia, right? You know, uh, (laughs) there are uh, readers all over the world who will buy books simply because the so-called authorities have said don't. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Oh, you have something to hide, Mr. Authority? Great. Salman Rushdie is rich. Exactly. (laughs) He has a very nice townhouse in Manhattan. Thank you very much. I've been to it. I can attest. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Okay. So uh, where were we on this? Um, Oh, what I was going to say was that the biggest mistake I made, and I made a lot of mistakes as I was advocating for reform within Islam, but the biggest mistake that I made was going into my events with my metaphorical fists clenched. You see, I knew I was going to get vitriol and condemnation and denunciation uh, from many of the people in these audiences. That's what they showed up to do, right? To boo and to intimidate. And I thought to myself, screw you. I'm not going to be intimidated by you. I'm going to counterpunch, the kind of thing that Trump does and takes great glee in mm-hmm. doing. That was awful on my part. Why? Because giving as good as I got only made my detractors more defensive. Instead, I could have disarmed them. I could have diffused the situation by listening to understand, not to win, asking sincere questions about why they believe what they believe, not gotcha and judgy questions, and only then uh, you know, uh, explaining why, even though they made a good point, why I disagree with it. If I had done that, the temperature, as it were, would have come down. And even if they wouldn't have changed their minds, they would have left saying, you know, she's, um, she's not the monster that she's made out to be. I, um, I mean, she, she heard me. And, and I, so and I work, appreciate though, that Ishab, respect. To do this? It's so much work, though, for people to do what you're talking about, though, is it not? I mean, isn't the natural human instinct just to fight? So, uh, yes, the natural human instinct is to feel threatened and therefore uh, to lash back. Now, let me ask you this. Um, If you deeply care about a person or about an issue and you actually want to make progress for that person or on that issue. What do you achieve by mocking, ridiculing, and humiliating your other? What do you actually achieve? Do you move the needle? Probably you don't move the needle, but for some folks, some, for some folks, their self-esteem, if their self-esteem is low enough, they make themselves feel better. Yeah, right? they make themselves feel better for a bit. And then somebody else calls them out on what is not their self-esteem, but really is their arrogance and self-righteousness. 
And then they become threatened by that and lash back against that. And do you see how it becomes a, uh, a vicious cycle, a vicious vortex, where you're constantly having to pull yourself out of this misery, this ugliness that you're getting into because you are operating from a place of fear rather than from a place of true confidence, of true esteem. What true esteem allows you to do is grab a little bit of humility. If you are a truly confident person, you will be able and willing to hear challenges from those who don't yet see the issue from your perspective. That's what confidence and esteem allow. But we live in 2021 now, and everything is about 180 characters. I guess it's more than that, 280 characters now on Twitter, or quick sound bites on TV. And I just can't imagine that someone who wants to be empathetic and to listen and to not be combative would find much, and I'm mm -hmm. putting it in air quotes, success um, in venues and avenues like Twitter and Instagram and cable mm -hmm. news or in the media in general because so much, so much of it's based on either get a laugh or a reaction as quickly as mm -hmm. you can on any of those avenues. So do you use, do you use any oh, social media yes, and Twitter and all that stuff? Sure. And it's, it's just, I find that, so, th listen, the only times I have anything that I say on Twitter, anybody gives a flying flip about, it's when I say something mean or bitchy. <laughs> and when I do, they get like tens of thousands of retweets and likes or whatnot. But when I say something just, you know, nice, it doesn't get attention. So what is the motivation for people to, other than, other than the obvious, which is to actually have an impact oh, and to do other better. Than the obvious. Um, the, to, it's, other it's than the obvious. It's almost like, oh, impact is incidental, right? So if impact but isn't it incidental to a lot of people? I mean, seriously, isn't it incidental? Don't most people want just the attention or the, or the ac yep. accolades and yep. the acclaim? And this is why uh, one of the challenges that I always issue to my students, uh, be they adults or be they teenagers, is let's get real for a second, friends. Are you in it, meaning whatever movement we're talking about, are you in it to make an actual difference? Or are you in it to feel superior uh, about your position? Be honest. Come on now. And, and here's the thing. Are they honest? Do they, they admit do. that they're in it to be they superior? Do. They do. Do they? That's because you're grading well, them. <laughs> it's, it's actually because nobody has ever challenged them with a question like that. And mm -hmm. because they're not expecting it, Clay, and maybe after this podcast they will, <laughs> but because they're... Well, nobody's listening this week because you're here. <laughs> it's just you. Our one listener is, our one listener is too busy talking to me. <laughs> because, because they've never gotten that question before, they haven't prepared for it, and so the only thing that most of them can do 
is come from a place of honesty. And they'll be squeamish about it. It's not like they'll go, yeah, I'm in it for self-serving reasons. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? No. They'll go, yeah. And I'll be like, okay, thank you for your honesty. I'm not going to judge you for that. I just want you to remember this moment. The next time you uh, want to call out uh, your so-called opponent, okay? I'm going to ask you to just remember this moment. And I want you to know, going into your call out, into your cancellation, that um, Mm. you're not going to make a tinker's dam of difference. So have a great time. Because you are now part of the problem, not part of the solution. Oof. You're damn Oof. right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I have so many other things I want to ask you about, but I want to get on to some questions that came in from uh, listeners um, because there's some really good ones. And, and I think that clearly some of the folks who, um, uh, who wrote in this week um, are very familiar with you and your... Uh, Moral, sorry, my thing, my pages is messing up. Mor- your moral courage, um, TV, and your uh, willingness to take you any bet. and all questions. Rav, Rav Deep from um, Baltimore asked straight out, "Why and when was it decided that I'm brown instead of Punjabi?" Brilliant, brilliant. So um, I can't be sure that this is what Rav Deep is uh, is getting at, but what he's saying, I think, is, excuse me, why? Are other people deciding for me what my identity is? I'm me. I will decide my identity, thank you very much. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has um, sort of uh, tapped into this um, habit (laughs) that we human beings have to uh, group people into the categories Mm -hmm that makes sense to whoever's doing the grouping. That's, in fact, what the early American colonists did, right? To black folks. They're black. Therefore, they are not of us. And we will be the ones to decide what they are and therefore who they are. We will be the ones to decide. Who decides the language anyway? I mean, at, at, one, at some point in our history of, of, in the United States, certain terms were more acceptable than they are now. Certainly words like Negro were acceptable in the 50s and 60s. Today, if I were to use that to describe someone, I would probably be canceled. Um, Bathrooms and water fountains in Mm -hmm. Jim Crow, not that we should have ever had them separate, but they were colored was Mm -hmm. acceptable. White was, you know, and obviously colored is not acceptable now. Who chooses these words? Who decides that Poop is a perfectly fine word, but shit is a cuss word. (laughs) Glad we're finally getting to the things that matter. (laughs) Poop and shit. Uh, I was wondering when we would would start talking about that. Um, So this happens in a lot of different ways. And often it is like a perfect storm of circumstances where, uh, uh, you know, uh, popular figures in our culture Um, say X, and then the media picks up on that and repeats that, and then uh, scholars and academics 
uh, begin to use that word and then they teach it to uh, their own students who then go out and replicate you know, these words. In other words, it's not any one person, obviously, who decides this is what it's going to be called, but rather it's a process. But it's also not society, is it? It's not really necessarily society. Oh, it's never society. society. It sounds like you said scholars and media. and what. I read something the other day that said that bisexual was an offensive term to somebody on Twitter um, because that's where, you know, all the most thoughtful conversation and discourse happens. Um, <laughs> that bisexual was an offensive term because it implied that there were only two mm. genders and we should never use the word bisexual at all. It should be pansexual only. And I thought, wait a second, am I going to get in trouble or canceled in a few years if I use the word bisexual because it is offensive to a few people? And I thought, do... do do like can we at least send around an official <laughs> fucking email a memo when a word becomes completely unacceptable like things change and i'm not getting the i'm not seeing the bat signal that tells me when something's right, right or Nor wrong nor were anymore. you consulted by the way so it's profoundly anti-democratic they? right but but right. you know what you, you've put your finger on something that i think actually uh, is worth uh, just uh, reflecting on for a moment this is one of the reasons, like, who decided, who died and decided that we will now use this word instead of this word, and moreover, that if I don't use the new word, I will be called all kinds of names that are based on, um, you know, uh, on assumptions about me. This is so much of the reason why Trump was elected in the first place. Uh-huh. Right? Is that a lot of people who supported him were wondering what, what, what just happened and, and why am I now being labeled as a racist, as a bigot, as an Islamophobe, as a homophobe when people who are making those claims about me know nothing about me? Well, because you could, at the same time, you could, I could call you, I, it, it's intention, right? It's not necessarily language, or at least it should be intention. It should be tone. I could call you queer right now in conversation, and you would know that I had no intention but to use it as, mm-hmm. a, adjective, as a descriptor, you know, or right. whatever, as a descriptor. But if I called you a queer in a derogatory way, derogatory yeah. sense, right? As a pejorative, then you know you would know the difference because of the way I said it, right? So it used to be we had that sort That's of discourse right. with people. So I, you know, I think back one of my good friends, Megan McCain, who called uh, Joy Behar bitch on the show a few years ago, and people were all up in arms. But both Joy and she knew exactly what she was saying. She was saying it in a playful way. You don't tell me what to do, bitch, like that. But we are now so used to being on our phones all the time, texts, emails, nothing is verbal, mm-hmm. nothing is audible. So we're so used, and therefore it seems to me that language, even when spoken to and from one another, so much of it's written down, you can't hear tone. You can't see hear tone exactly. in an email. And so now this language takes on whatever the most, you know, I guess the you, we assume that the, 
tone is going to be the negative way, right. no matter what, especially if it's right. on Twitter. And right? again, brilliant point on your part, because the thing about, you know, social media, uh, a, 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 even something as supposedly innocent as texts and emails, is that they do not convey facial expression, they do not convey body language, and they do not convey tone. And so, if we are in any way, any one of us is, quote, triggered by something that someone has said, the, it's the ego, again, right? It's the ego, that damn frickin' ego that will manipulate us into believing that we must assume the worst intent on the part of the person. And so, instead of actually asking, hey, could you just unpack that for me? Or what did you mean by, you know, by X? Instead of just clarifying, we will go ballistic. And again, guess what? We have not made the situation any better. In fact, well, if anything, we've given them what if they were if they meant it in yes. a negative way, we gave them exactly what That's the hell exactly they wanted by being right. offended by it. And this it. is what I mean. And if they didn't mean it in an offensive way, then like we've we've Burned essentially ostracized an That's ally. Right. That's right. And this right? is what I mean, Clay, about allowing ourselves to be manipulated by the ego. You know, it's like hmm. we have a rational side, if only. We remembered, and I do mean you have to remember this in, you know, emotional situations. You have to remember that your emotions are not the boss, okay? You can respect and name what you're feeling, but it doesn't mean you have to cater and capitulate to the worst of what the ego wants from you. You are your I feel, boss. I feel like I'm getting a oh therapy God. session yeah, okay. here. I'm writing right, all right, these right, notes right. down. You kidding me? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I'm taking notes. It's good. Brett from Nashville says, is transgression essential to humor? Mm. Or am I missing the point? Wow, that's a great question. What, what would, how would you answer that? Um, I don't know if I can... I mean, I... Th- is it essential to humor? I don't think it's essential to humor. And I think some of the smartest comics are the ones who are able to make the joke without. But at the same time, I do find it funny. And therefore, I don't get offended by it. Listen, there are very few people, I think, at least between the years of 2003 and 2008, there were very few people who were the butt of a punchline national, uh, com- nationwide comics um, than I was. Right. Uh, and did it bother me at the time? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said sure. it didn't bother me. It did a little bit. But at the same time, I do remember the very first time I watched a show and heard my name used as a part of a gay joke where I wasn't the butt of the joke. And I thought, damn, that was impressive, Tina Fey, mm. how you wrote that joke in 30 Rock. And I was, it was still a joke about gay and I was in it, but I wasn't the punchline. And I thought, see, it takes, it takes intelligence to be able to make it funny without making the difference or the, you know, the unique trait of someone, the butt of the joke. But, you know, again, like I said, I'm, I'm in the school of, like we just said before, if they meant it to be mean and I get upset by it, then I gave them what they wanted. So I just don't find it. It doesn't upset right. me. 
do you think that humor is funny when do, do you 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 can't tell me that you don't laugh sometimes when there's a joke about minority oh, or hell a, yeah. a, no no and i would never okay, deny yeah. that clay i got to tell mm. you that uh i am a i'm an advocate of free speech um i'm an advocate of free speech because when people have the freedom to express themselves in the way that is authentic to them, um, that is when, um, you know, really clever, interesting, um, uh, fringe ideas uh, begin to circulate in society. The point being that if we always walk around self-censoring, then how boring are we? We can be so predictable and worse than being boring, the talents that we have to offer may never rise to the fore because we feel we need to suffocate them in order not to be mm -hmm. canceled. So I say, I say when you want to transgress, and by the way, this word transgress, I go back to you know, the earlier question that your, that your listener asked, who the hell decided where the line is and therefore whether or not I'm transgressing, right? Who decided that? But okay. Whoever your boss was who canceled you and fired you because you yeah. got, you know, that's, I guess they essentially decide, no, 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 but no, so no, many no. of them They, they, they are... don't decide, Clay. That's, that. Well, they decide, don't you think, okay, we might get to get, get to disagree here finally. Don't you think that they decide whether or not to accept it? Yep. Because I think about all these folks who have been fired recently because they did this or did that or the other. And I think to myself, yeah, okay, you're, I, I maybe be seeing your point that society and the Twitter sphere and all mm -hmm. these other folks place this on them. But all I have wanted for the past mm -hmm. year is for one company to stand up and say, no, we're not going to fire this person because they used the term Negro in, in 1976 in an in a article they wrote in 1976. No, we're not going to fire them for this. Everybody else needs to grow the up and just get over it. I've been waiting for one company to do that. Bon Appetit a few months ago fired one of their... Uh, columnist because she had written an article about a traditional Jewish right. dish that, that's eaten during, I think, Passover mm -hmm. Seder or whatnot. She got fired and they canceled all of her stuff. And I thought to myself, who over there at Condé Nast didn't have the balls to say, this is bullshit, y'all. Grow up, mm -hmm. Twitter. Because, so, yes, I do. I, if you think that they don't decide, I do disagree finally with you on that because I think they decide whether or not okay. it's acceptable. Now, I'm going to, you know, I'm all about both and, right? I'm not about either or. So even though we disagree on this particular point, okay. I'm going to add to it. You are right okay. that they get to decide, the bosses, for their particular company. And notice how many journalists have been fired or canceled by their media outlets and have gone on to another platform called Substack, where they mm -hmm. are not edited, they are not supervised, um, and have made far more money on that platform and have a far greater reach 
to say nothing of infinite freedom on that platform than on the previous ones. The point is this, the point is this. If you are going to allow the so-called bosses to determine for you what your integrity is, then you've played a part in their power hoarding. If you have to stand up for what you believe and risk being fired for it, do that. Do that because today there are many other options for you. But does Barry Weiss, but does Barry Weiss, for example, I don't know if that's who you're talking about. I'm talking about, about Andrew Sullivan. Uh, but there are others. Okay, but those folks, who, but, but yeah, okay, but do they have, Andrew Sullivan may be a, a bad example for me, um, a good one for you, but do they have as broad a reach as they would have if they go to Substack? I mean, I keep thinking that those places end up just putting us into silos. Barry Weiss mm -hmm. got fired from or got pushed out of the New York Times because of her, um, her positions and her belief that, okay, the New York Times should have allowed Tom Cotton to run that op-ed, et cetera. But she went to another smaller subscription-based model. And yeah, a lot of people followed her, but they were the people who probably wanted confirmation mm -hmm. that they, because they already agreed with her, right? So th while Substack in these places are successful, do they put us into our little silos even we, more? If we're only getting our news from those we, we agree with? We human beings put ourselves into those little silos. It's not uh, t platforms that do it. Uh, Barry Weiss could, if she wanted to, write about so much more than Israel and cancel culture. Now, those are her right. particular obsessions and fixations. You gonna blame that on Substack? Or are you gonna put the responsibility at her feet? No, I'm certainly not blaming right. it on Substack, but I'm assuming that those people who now right. read her are those who liked her already. Sure. She's probably not changing no, anyone's she's not. mind That's over for there, sure. Where she might have, where she might have, had she stayed, had she been allowed to stay or been able to stay at the New York Times. And I'm not saying I agree sure. with her on everything. I agree with her on cancel yep. culture more than I would think I would. But she, but she, she had a platform at the New York Times and now she's speaking to the, she's preaching to and the choir. And she right? has done that to herself, Clay by obsessing with these two issues. If she decided to write about so much more than these two issues, she would actually be able to give her audience something new to think about. She would be able to challenge their biases if indeed... See, clearly I don't follow her. Clearly I don't follow her Substack because I didn't know she wasn't doing no. that already. <laughs> I just assumed she was writing nope. about it all. But I, I didn't go but into that see, silo. This is, this is precisely <laughs> the point here, is that it all comes back again to how we human beings uh, choose to operate, right? If we choose to say, screw you, I'm not interested in talking to anybody who disagrees with me, no wonder... Uh, you know, we're uh, uh, at the point we are in this country, okay? And that you cannot blame merely on politicians. If we don't give politicians the power to do our thinking for us, then they won't have that power. Mm -hmm. It just is yeah. that simple. So it's not enough, uh, you know, to castigate um, all of these uh, media outlets and platforms and companies who agreed are not saints. God knows they're not. 
but we are the consumers and we are the voters. And if we choose not to play on their terms, then they can't succeed. I, 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 we're just going to go over one time because I really want to let Kira from Muncie ask her question. Sorry to everybody else. Um, I just ran my mouth tonight. Um, Kira from Muncie wants to know if it's okay to divorce her family over politics. Mm. You know, um, so Kira, what I want to know is, have you given it a good go to try and speak with your family and to speak with them not from a defensive crouch? Not it's my way or the highway, but rather from a place of sincere curiosity and attempt to understand. If you have, if you honestly believe that you have done that, instead of, you know, thumping your, your chest uh, uh, about feeling uh, uh, good over the position you've taken, um, then, yeah, if that's what you have to do to preserve your dignity and your sanity, you have every right, you know, to... Uh, leave relationships that are just draining you. I ask you only, Kira, to remember the story of Genesis and Lewis. Had Genesis decided that because Lewis wants to keep the flag, the Mississippi state flag as it is, he must be a racist, and therefore I have nothing to say to him, I can't be his friend in any way, shape, or form, imagine the change, the social change, that she would have left on the table because she walked away prematurely. Kira, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn from your shot and say, yes, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love you already, Claire. Um, <laughs> don't. Maybe, maybe don't talk about politics, damn it. Go to dinner and, and play checkers. Uh, get the Monopoly board out. And remember, it's your family. And one of these days, your political opinions might change, theirs might change, your friends might change, and you might be an old maid sitting in Muncie, Indiana one day with no family around you because you've gotten upset over, you know, that guy who was president 20, 30 years ago, back in 2019. Um, So... You should do, Kira, what I do, which is just don't talk about it. Everybody in my family, if, you've, if, you've, if you're writing in, you know, um, because you listen to the show, you know my whole family voted for Trump, and I don't agree with them on anything, and we just don't talk about it. Um, we know better yeah. than to do that. Uh, so don't – is it so, – so Irshad is right. You have that right, and, um, and you can do it, but um, I think there's a – I think she, you also mm-hmm. said, Ishad, that there's a whole bunch more in this yes. life um, to consider our role model and our yes. example Absolutely. than politics. And so maybe y'all should start watching General Hospital together or something. <laughs> General so Hospital? Something to do. I don't know. That's the only soap <laughs> opera that's left on, I think. I feel like you just... Is that still Something on the air? that y'all can... T- it is. Oh something God. that y'all can talk about. It is. Wow. Yeah. They got rid of God and Light, which was my favorite, damn it. Um, how, uh, so Don't Label Me is the book. Um, how can we watch Moral Courage sure. TV? Where can we see people asking some, some of these uncomfortable Go questions? Go to YouTube and input mm-hmm. Moral Courage channel. And up will come an array of videos. I also want to say, if you're okay with this, that um, 
Please. Uh, my team and I have literally just come out with a, um, with a uh, project called Diversity Without Division. And it is a series of uh, professional development offerings for teachers. Uh, we're teaching educators how to teach diversity mm, in a way that is not divisive. And we're soon nice. going to be rolling out uh, the business and higher ed version of diversity without division. So if you're interested, <clears throat> please uh, you know, come to my uh, website, irshadmanji.com, and ping me. Uh, I'm also on social media, at irshadmanji on Twitter, at real irshadmanji on Instagram. Let me know you're interested. Who took, who took your name Somebody on Instagram, Somebody actually became an imposter. <laughs> And you know what? Oh, I blew you them can off. get it back. You oh, yeah. Get it oh, yeah. Back. No, I, I we'll blew get, them we'll... out of the water. It's all right. Yeah. Um, okay, both and. Um, so so uh, <laughs> what, I, what I'm really wanting to, to leave the audience here with, Clay, is the hope that there is an alternative to the us against them, um, you know, dynamic that is dominating our country today. There is an alternative. Be a part of the solution, people. And that's the only way that we will continue to be these United States of America. Well, we've got, I mean, I've got to ask you our, our key question here. Um, and I got to also say, it's sort of becoming, I think, a challenge <laughs> to, for, for the producers of this show to try to find someone who I can fight with. But we did fight. Did we not fight? <laughs> We didn't fight. We didn't fight. No, Are you, you know kidding what? me? Uh, Clay, I love you. Clay. You're great. We got along yes, beautifully. Yes, but that's because we took a both-and approach. So what we're showing is how to fight in a productive way. We did fight, but we did it productively. You are, if, you, if, if that is what you think fighting is, Lord knows I don't ever want to be in the room when I'm, you to be in the room when I'm mad. Well, um, remember, Clay, I've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with, uh, you know, with terrorists, okay? Bonafide terrorists. I can be a and jackass. You're, and you're now a recruit, um, <laughs> right? So I am, and now I'm exactly. a jihadist with you. But um, I, I, listen, I have loved this, and I really encourage people to pick up Don't Label Me, Irshad Manji's um, book. You can follow her on um, Twitter and Instagram, but you have to put real in front of your shut on Instagram. In, um, on, yeah. on Instagram, but Twitter, she's got her own name. Uh, and, and check out her website as well, because um, I have totally, really enjoyed this, and I've loved it, and I was gearing up to have somebody I could disagree with tonight, but I didn't, and I had so much fun. But you got to tell me yep. before we go, Irshad Manji, how the heck are we going to get along? <laughs> We're going to get along by developing the moral courage to take disagreement as an invitation to engagement.